And then the other thing about it is I realized my dad was just doing what he did. It wasn't about me. I was just the bursting radius of his bad behavior. People have been in the bursting radius of my bad behavior. It's not personal. A lot of times we think it's personal. They did it to me. No, they didn't. They did what they do. I was there. And until I can get over that, I can't really have that close conscious contact with a God of my understanding. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Tally-ho, my lords. Tally-ho, my ladies. That was the voice of Steve L. that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And you will be hearing so much more from Steve L. in just a moment, but... First things first, this episode is coming at you. It's brought to you by Matthew and Anna and Todd and Terry, Kurt, Joshua, and Patrick. Do you know what Matthew and Anna and Todd and Terry and Kurt and Joshua and Patrick did? Well, let me fill you in. They went to our website soberspeak.com they clicked on the little yellow or actually it's not yellow anymore i keep forgetting this they clicked on the donate tab and they made a a contribution thank you so much matthew and anna and todd and terry and kurt and joshua and patrick this here episode is coming right out at you to you to you to you Anyway, I wanted to add this also. Patrick threw in a little note with his uh, contribution. He said, thanks, John. Bill C. just spoke at my home group. I mean, he just spoke. And we know of him because of your podcast. Great job. Keep up the work and God bless. And the reason I read that is, first of all, say thank you, Patrick. I appreciate that. But if you are still... Well, there are a lot of people that are having Zoom meetings and you need speakers for your Zoom meetings. I have a list of speakers here. Just email me at John, J-O-H-N at SoberSpeak.com and I can give you a list of speakers that can attend your meetings and would be more than happy to speak at your uh, meeting, uh, your Zoom meeting, or, or who knows, maybe your in-person meeting, assuming that time allows that. But anyway, thank you again, Patrick. I 
John M., just another bozo on the bus, will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, not literally, but take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get started. No matter who you are or what your past looks like, you are welcome here. It is an open table for all, and we are glad you are here. If you are new to the podcast and you're thinking to yourself, self, well, where do I start with all of these episodes that John M. has listed? You can go to our website, SoberSpeak.com, and click on the tab that says, whoa, what does it say? Top 20, oh, I think it says, uh, oh, I know what it says, top episodes. There's a tab that says top episodes. You can click on that and that will give you, now top is um, subjective, right? It's like chocolate or vanilla. Which one do you like better? Everyone has a little bit of a different taste. These are, when I say top episodes, these are the ones that were listened to the most. I should say most popular episodes of 2020, and they are all listed out on our website, and you can start there. If you were thinking, uh, well, let me put it this way. I'm sure there are many of you out there who have heard me make this announcement before and you say, you know, I really need to attend that thing. We have recover free. It's a free resource. It's available free. And by the way, if you go to our website, soberspeak.com and you click on sober resources, you can see all of the information for this event that I am about to talk about. It is Recovery Yoga, and it is on Sunday afternoons from 4 o'clock p.m. Central Time in the United States, and uh, our one and only Megan P. started that up, and she does a great job. Actually, her and Tanya kind of take turns going back and forth and leading that particular class, but it is a, when I say Recovery Yoga, here's what we do. I say we. I have nothing to do with it. I just show up a lot. Uh, Megan or Tanya lead a a discussion meeting for like 30 minutes on the first half of the meeting. And then the second half of the meeting is a gentle yoga and a meditation practice. No prior experiences needed. Everyone can attend. Just have a place to kind of stretch out and be a little bit uh, comfortable. But if you have thought to yourself so many times, you know, I really need to attend that thing. Well, maybe this is the week where you need to come in because I love actually seeing and uh, being there in the class with uh, the various listeners. And uh, it's it's absolutely a, a thrill for me. So uh, if you would just come and uh, be kind to me by doing it. I would appreciate it. If you were here in the North, North, North Texas area, and you are available on Saturday at noon in Frisco, Texas, we have an open discussion meeting. All are welcome. Uh, for more information, go to the Sober Resources tab at www.soberspeak.com. You can find that info there as well. One last thing, and then we're going to get on with Steve. So Facebook has changed their ways on me as of late. You used to have to 
send your email to me to, and we had to send an email out to you to be invited to the super secret Facebook group, but they've changed their way. So now if you look for the secret, uh, the sober speak Facebook secret Facebook group, you can find that in Facebook and the, and you can ask to be allowed in. And there's just one, there's one question on the uh, front end of it. And uh, we will let you in on the secret Facebook group. So we would love to see you there if you're not there already. Now on to a little bit of Mr. Steve L. from Southern California. In fact, he, like Bill C., is from the Hermosa Men's Stag Meeting in Southern California. We're entitling this particular episode, God's Amusement Park. And you'll see why we call it that toward the end of the episode Steve talks about his relationship with his father and the twists and the turns involved in that complicated relationship. We chat about how the book, the big book says, it doesn't really say what my part in there is. It says when you're talking about the four step and making amends and all this stuff, it actually says where I was mistaken, had fault or had blame. And I just hadn't really thought about that before. And I love how Steve pointed that out. Uh, We talk about how Steve was shot. Yes, shot, not shot like a drink, you know, liquor shot, but shot like with a gun shot uh, at 20 years sober. And you'll want to hang in there and listen to that particular story. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please help me to welcome Mr. Steve L. And as usual, we will have listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy Steve L. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with Mr. Steve L from, I believe it's Redondo Beach, California. Am I correct about that? So Steve, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you like. We do that here in Texas. It's kind of a Texas thing. And tell people where you're coming to us from today. Sure, John. My name is Steve L. My sobriety date is July 27, 1996. I am coming to you from Redondo Beach, and I certainly would not want to violate any of the Texas traditions. So (laughs) I think that's the information that you requested. (laughs) That is. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. So Steve and I know each other through a mutual friend, and that mutual friend would be Mr. Bill C., which many people have heard on this uh, podcast before, several times over, a lot of them. Uh, why don't you? How do you know Bill C.? How did you come across that giant of a man, so to speak? Well, Bill C. lives a couple blocks from me. He lives in Torrance. I live in Redondo Beach. Uh, that simply means that I'm closer to the beach than he is. He has sat on my right-hand side trying to monitor me for about 24 years and change at the Hermosa Beach Monday Night Men's Stag, which is our home group. Uh, His sponsor is a guy named J.S. My sponsor Mm -hmm. is a guy named Michael R. His sponsor is a guy named Christoph S. And his sponsor is the same guy, J.S. So J. is my grand great grand sponsor, I guess. And we're all kind of related in a West Virginia kind of way. <laughs> For those of you listening in West Virginia, no offense, man. 
I'm a, I'm a fan of deliverance. I got no problem with it. <laughs> I judge no man. <laughs> All right, Steve. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's go ahead and get into a little bit of Steve L and his history and his story. Um, so you're out there in California. Were you born in California? No, I was born in Bangor, Maine. You are kidding me. No. You know why I say that? We we have not talked about this yet, but I was actually born in Bangor, Maine. Very well, strange. Uh, when you and I were born, that was probably the saturation point, so they cut everybody else off from any <laughs> sex because that's <laughs> Yeah, I was born in I was born in Bangor and yep. I grew up in Rumford. <laughs> and it wasn't until I came out west that I learned how to pronounce ours. <laughs> Yeah, so you sound uh, uh, fairly northeast free in your uh, language. So, how long have you been out there in California? Well, I grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada, and then I went to college in California, and then I joined the army in 1980. And in the army, I was in the army for 13 and a half years. I went all over the place. But while I was in the army, they sent me to law school in California. So, when I got out of the army, I came back to California. To practice law. So you've been all over the place. So speaking of practicing law, you are a practicing lawyer, so to speak. Do you, is there any particular kind of law you uh, hone in on? Yeah, really good law. That's what I like to hone in on is really good <laughs> law. No, I'm, I'm a litigator. I'm a trial attorney. So I do civil <laughs> litigation. I used to do criminal law when I was in the military. But since I've been out of the army, I've done civil litigation. Do you run across drug addicts and alcoholics in your line of business? I'm assuming you do. It's hard not to, John. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's let's go back to the beginning then, uh, or you know, I mean, n maybe not from the mother's womb or whatever. But I will do tell me a little bit about your your parents and your siblings growing up and what kind of environment it was like. Uh, wh what do you want to lead with on that? Well, like I said, I grew up in Vegas. My father, uh, my natural born father, who just died this January, was in the Air Force. Uh, he went over to Vietnam in the early '60s. Divorced my wife my wife, my mom, and she remarried and she and my stepdad were both school teachers. They've both passed away. And, uh, my father like left the picture. My natural born father left the picture when I was about four and a half or five, I think. And do you remember much about that? Uh, enough to make him number one on my resentment list. Yes, John. Okay. Yes, I <laughs> so, so, so that was a, I'm assuming a recurring theme between five and probably into early sobriety. Would I be correct about that? Yeah. I, I got sober when I was 37. I was writing my inventory when I was 38 and he was the first guy on the list. Absolutely. Mm. From my well, perspective, you know, he had, he had deserted us. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. So he was number one on the hit list. You were getting sober. Um, walk me through that. I, I mean, were you able to come to some resolution with that? And I was. My, my sponsor suggested that I put my father on the list. He said I should start with immediate family, which I thought was ridiculous. Uh, 
you know, just because I hated him didn't mean I had a resentment. I had really pushed him out of my life because I just, uh, my delusion in that area was so strong. I, I had a hard time seeing that, but at my sponsor's insistence, I put him on the list. And basically my list, even though we share in a general way, it was, you know, I'm resentful at my father, two words, second column, the cause, two words deserted me. Now, like the book says, Michael was prepared for a long talk. He asked me questions. I explained I was four or five years old. My father left, went to Vietnam, never came back. He joined an outfit called Air America. He met a Thai woman, Leanne Thong, apparently married her. Uh, I have a half-sister, Peck. I've never met Peck. I've never met Leanne Thong and had hardly spoken to my father in over three decades. And in the third column, you know, I, it was everything, selfishness, self-centeredness, self-seeking. Um, you know, I, I'm looking at this and, I, you know, it impacts my self-esteem, my pocketbook, my ambition, my personal relations, my sex relations. You know, my old grand sponsor, Scott R., used to call this a, a five-bagger, you know. And, and my character defects that I listed, there were some more later, but the ones that I listed were fear, uh, anger, and I didn't want to forgive my father, you know, on, on – Page 67, there's what's sometimes referred to as a prayer to the sick man, you know, ask God for patience and tolerance towards this person who could be spiritually sick like me. I don't want to do that. So I get this all done and I write the rest of the inventory, the fear of the sexual misconduct inventory, and I'm reading it to my sponsor and he listens to me patiently. And then he pointed out to me that uh, when I was new, before I came to my sponsor, I had a newcomer plan. All newcomers have newcomer plans. I thought it was a brilliant <laughs> plan. And if you're new, I'm sure you think it's brilliant. So I suggest you <laughs> tell somebody about it because it's usually not so brilliant. My not so brilliant newcomer plan was I was, I'd acquired some passports and some identities when I was in the military. I was going to use those, leave the country, uh, go to Costa Rica and engage in some marketing and distribution with some friends of mine down there. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. It was a good plan at the time. And, was, that's right. <laughs> and, and, you know, I thought it was brilliant. And the only problem was, you know, I, 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 I was not able to execute it. Okay. And I had a wife and I had a daughter at the time. And my sponsor reminded me, he said, you know, I know you're upset with your father because he deserted you. And you never said that you deserted your wife and daughter, but is there really a functional difference between what you were planning on doing and then what your father actually did? And that just took the wind out of me. Mm. Mm. So you said you were going to do some marketing and distribution. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of people think it's drugs. It actually wasn't drugs. It was, oh. it, was it was weapons and mercenary work because I was, oh. forces. but it doesn't matter. It was just, it was just, it was a stupid idea. <clears throat> and uh, fortunately I didn't execute on it. And, uh, you know, my, my sponsor, he reads this and he tells me later where I'm, you know, that I'm going to have to deal with this. I'm going to have to make amends. I'm going to have to forgive. And I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to do that. And, uh, I launch off, I, I get into this process where I'm doing amends. I'm sponsoring guys. I'm taking them through the steps. You know, I'm a man of God. Just ask me, I have a thing called spiritual pride that I cannot see at the time. Although it was pointed out to me repeatedly by people like Bill and Michael and, and then about, I don't know, my, my sponsor had done things to me like, you know, he says, uh, you know, at the end of the meeting, we say this thing called the Lord's Prayer, right? I'm like, yeah. What do you think of that? 
I don't have a problem with it. It's a perfectly good prayer. Because, well, you know, there's a clause in that prayer. It goes like this. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. What do you think of that? Like, I think it's a damn trick question. That's, you know, I mean, it's like, it's, you know, I understand the truth of it. I can even realize it and appreciate it, but I can't demonstrate it. So he suggested that I pray for, you know, essentially the the power, the willingness to make this amends. And this took several years. And one day I told him I was going to go up to Anchorage, Alaska to do some depositions. And I had forgotten that I told him my father was living in Wasilla, Alaska at the time, which was made famous by Sarah Palin, but that's where my, my dad lived at the time. And and my sponsor lights up like a Christmas tree. He gets all excited. He says, oh, man, that's great. You'll make amends to your father. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're connecting two unrelated dots. I'm just going to go up there to do some depositions to get ready for a trial. And Michael leans in. He's like, no, no, no. You've been praying, right? I said, yeah. He said, well, I've been praying. You've been praying. God's talking. Can't you hear him? I'm like, no, I'm not getting the memo at all. You know, and I, <laughs> I, used to, I used to call my sponsor, Michael, the cosmic cupcake, the mystic muffin. I mean, it didn't matter what the question was. The solution was God. It irritated the hell out of me uh, until I realized that it doesn't matter what the question is. The solution is God. He would tell me, you know, just pray and meditate. And while you're waiting for an answer, don't expect a burning bush or that God is going to say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. But, you know, that's when you turn your attention to the newcomer and to the other people that you're working with and you wait for the answer. So he told me to get quiet for the next week and because uh, I pray and meditate every morning. And he, and I and I got this feeling I should do this. So I went back to him. I'm like, all right, Michael, I'll do it. What do I do? He goes, I don't know. I'm not going up there. Talk to God. I'm like, oh, man, you are killing me, right? So I, <laughs> I call my father. He says he'll see me. And I fly up there. So excuse me. I know you may have said this already, but so how long has it been at this point since you've seen him face-to-face or eyeball-to-eyeball? got to be 35 almost 40 years wow yeah it's been it's been decades had you, know, you been in any sort of communication whether letters or emails I, or whatever? i got a couple letters oh that's actually that's not true when i was in when before i turned 10 i remember he came through town one time and took my brother and me out for pizza you know like for an afternoon one of those weird awkward things and uh but like I hadn't seen him for over 30 years. I'm in my early 40s by the time I did this because I, I I balked. You know, that we, we says that some of these we balked in the big book and there, a lot of people talk about four and five. My experience is it's nine. <laughs> I balked, we balk at nine. And but finally I'm gonna fly up there. I'm gonna see him, right? And I and I go up to see him and I go through the airport. He's older than I just out of curiosity yeah. when you called him and said you were yeah. coming up. Did he seem receptive? Did he seem, did it seem awkward? Was he anxious? What What was the conversation like? He was shocked. I could tell he was shocked, but he said, oh, that would be great. You know, it was a very short conversation. And when I went up to him in the airport, I went through the terminal and I, when I first got here, I didn't like all the physical contact. I miss it now that we're in the COVID-19 thing, but, uh, and I don't know what it's like in Texas, but in Southern California, if you're a man, it's never the supermodel that wants to give you the hug. It's <laughs> it's the biker with a three day growth. You know, it's you know, it's, it's not Katie P. It's Charlie P. If you know those two, you know, it's, it's yes, I do. You know, so anyway, um, so I didn't like that, but when I got to my father, without thinking, I just hugged him, 
And he buried his head in my shoulder and he cried and I cried and forgiveness mm -hmm. occurred. And all I had to do was show up and get out of the way. Now we had conversations after that. I've been up there, he's been down here and I, I made an amends. Uh, he did not make an amends, but uh, oddly enough, one of the things that was so interesting was when he was dying, we couldn't go up to see him because of COVID. In fact, his wife, Lynn couldn't get in to see him. Nobody could go see him. He's in the hospital, but he would FaceTime me and I'm talking to him and he made amends to me. Now, under the AA version, it was a completely lame amends. If my sponsee had told me what he had done, I would say, no, that's not adequate. But because of our relationship, it was, it was perfect. It was beautiful. And before he passed, he said he loved me. And I told him I loved him and I meant it. And that's only because Alcoholics Anonymous. Wow. Okay. So let's unpack this a little bit because sure. you're going to have a lot of people listening to this episode and they are struggling with a relationship with either, uh, it could be a sibling, it could be a parent, it could be an extended family member, it could be a friend, whatever. But it's a, it's a stressful situation. It has been stressful for quite some time. So looking back now, and is there anything that you extract from this that you maybe impart to other guys that you sponsor now? Um, are, are you able to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I can tell you that my experience with this and that's the only thing that matters because you got to have your own individual experience is that I, I was given the time to work through it. And I had some great teachers, you know, my sponsor, Michael, Bill C, uh, my sponsor, sponsor at the time, Scott R, you know, Sandy B. These, these are guys that, you know, would, would tell me to pray and meditate and just, and, and the importance of forgiveness, you know, and I can forgive a minor transgression, but a lot of times what people I think have difficulty understanding is that when we do the inventory, um, a lot of times people will say, you know, the fourth column is my part. The book does not say that. It says mistake, fault, or blame. There's nothing wrong with my part, but it's a perfectly good shorthand. But the potential problem with having a part is that you think you have a part or a mistake, fault, or blame in both the second column, the cause, and the third column, the condition. That is not the case. I didn't have a part. I didn't have mistake, fault, or blame in my father leaving in the cause. A woman that gets raped because she goes to the grocery store, you know, and she, maybe she parks her car a little outside the lights. And then she comes in because, you know, she gets sober and her sponsor says, oh, you got raped. Look for your part in that. And she's like, this is BS. I don't have a part. Was I supposed to park, you know, in the daytime? I parked too far away. I got raped. That's not my fault. That's because we overlooked the third column, the condition. What I have to do is I have to ask myself, and I got this from Scott R., what defect of character do I have if God were to remove it from me? I would no longer have this resentment because it's the number one offender. Okay, and I've got anger, I've got fear, and I'm unforgiving. I don't want to forgive. The 12 and 12 talks more about forgiveness than the big book. But really, that prayer to the sick man on page 67 is all about forgiveness. And the other thing that's important is forgiveness is forgiveness. It's not simply acceptance. Acceptance gets you part of the way there, but it's not forgiveness. Forgiveness 
is, is, is complete and it's total. But the other aspect about forgiveness is it does not require ongoing participation. It does not require ongoing participation. I remember when Sandy Beach, you know, his daughter was, was brutally murdered. And he went through forgiveness in a matter of less than a day. Now, it took me years, but I am absolutely convinced that this not only works, but that ninth step, that forgiveness, that's the transformative fulcrum that launches us into a spiritual experience. Because what happens to us is you talk to these men and women and they say, well, I, you know, I've got a busy mind. Well, have you done your amends? No. Well, maybe the clan, that, that channel is clogged that we talk about in the 11th step prayer. You know, what we do in three through nine and 10 is we clear that channel. And if we can't clear the channel, the transmission doesn't come through. It doesn't get to us. We can't receive it. And I, you can't see that. You have to experience it. You have to have that faith to take that action that you just don't think is, I mean, I'm going up to see my father. I'm thinking this is a crock. I mean, this is going to, this isn't going to go. I don't know. Right. And then the other thing about it is I realized my dad was just doing what he did. It wasn't about me. I was just the bursting radius of his bad behavior. People have been in the bursting radius of my bad behavior. It's not personal. A lot of times we think it's personal. They did it to me. No, they didn't. They did what they do. I was there. You know, and until I can get over that, I can't really have that close conscious contact with a God of my understanding. But I know this works, you know, and, and the reason why I know it works is because it worked when I got shot almost five years ago. Hold on a second. Let's, uh, I'm going to come back to that. Let sure. me do a quick little break here. We will be continuing our conversation with Steve L. In just a moment, just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at www.soberspeak.com. You can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. SoberSpeak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Mr. Steve L. All right, so that was a little bit of a cliffhanger. When you said you got shot at five years ago. No, I said I got shot. Getting shot got at shot. is different than getting shot. <laughs> I've been shot at many times. I've been hit twice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Sorry, so let's just, <laughs> that was good. <laughs> yeah, shot at is different than shot. All right, so let's talk about the time you got shot. Talk me walk me through that. The first time or the second time? <laughs> Your, your, your choice. The, the first time I was in the army, it was a minor flesh wound. It wasn't a big deal. The second time uh, was in May of 2016. I was up in Badger, California, which is a beautiful, rustic area near Sequoia National Park. I was at the Seven Circles Retreat Center. It's a beautiful area. It was Saturday morning. I'd had breakfast. I'm back in my cabin, minding my own business, sitting on the bed. And the gentleman upstairs from me, because there was an upstairs, decided it would be a good time to clear his Glock 9mm weapon. 
which is ordinarily not a problem. But he apparently forgot to remove the magazine. And when he pulled the slide back and then released the slide, he actually jacked around into the chamber. He pointed it at the floor, which was the ceiling above me. Uh, he pulled the trigger. It discharged around. It went through the ceiling above me. It entered my chest right above my heart, passed within millimeters of my heart, and lodged itself in my sternum. Hmm. Were you there by yourself? Yes. Well, he was upstairs. Well, I mean, but in the in your uh, wherever you were staying. Yeah, in my room. Okay. With, there was nobody in my room. You know, and I, I grabbed a towel and I, you know, I put it over the wound and I realized, you know, immediately that I'd been shot. The guy comes running downstairs. He comes around the corner. He goes, "What happened? <laughs> you shot me. That's what happened." Wow. Okay, so take me from there. Uh, what? Well, really kind of a peculiar thing happened, and this is, goes back to the forgiveness aspect. He starts freaking out. This guy is freaking out because he just shot this guy. You know, he did, had no idea. I mean, it was obviously an accident. He was just pointing the weapon at the floor. Freak accident. You know, here's this guy downstairs, got a bloody towel over his chest, you know, and he shot him. So he's freaking out. And then a really peculiar thing happened. I started trying to calm him down. And I will submit to you that that is only because of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because if this had happened, this happened right before my 20th AA birthday. If this had happened 20 plus years earlier, 21 years earlier, I would have been 10 different shades of pissed off. I do not know what your idea of a justified resentment is, but getting shot, that ought to qualify, right? <laughs> but I'm, I'm trying to calm this guy down. And the only reason is because you had shown me forgiveness. You know, through the men and women of Alcoholics Anonymous and going through this process of the steps and the amends, I had experienced it. And because I'd experienced it, I believe I was able to convey it. Now, having said that, I still got kind of a significant problem, right? So I'm like, <laughs> you got to take me down to the hospital. So we rush down to the hospital, which is in Visalia. We go how, long, how far away is that? Ordinarily, almost an hour. We got there in about 35 or 40 minutes. In fact, I remember telling the guy, slow down. I don't want to you know, survive the gunshot wound and get die in the car crash. But we get into the hospital and you go in the emergency room. And, and by the way, you get shot, you go to the head of the line. You know, they get, <laughs> they got 12, 13 people working on me. They do a, an overhead x-ray. They hook me up to an EKG. And I got a cardiothoracic surgeon who's attending and he's got a furrowed brow and he's looking at me and he's checking everything. And after about 15 minutes, he goes, I don't know how to tell you this, uh, but, uh, you know, this, this bullet went within millimeters of your heart, missed all the major arteries. We don't know how that happened. It's lodged in your sternum. It's immobile. It doesn't look like it's going anywhere. So we're going to observe you for a few days and then probably going to let you go. But when we did the EKG, we noticed you have this thing called an atrial flutter, which is like atrial fibrillation. Your heart is just spasming, which is not that surprising because a bullet just went within millimeters of it, right? <laughs> so I, I get released. And I go down to where I live in Southern California. I see my doctor, Dr. Carson, cardiologist. He says, uh, okay, look, uh, you, does the EKG, says you, you've got an atrial flutter, but we've got a procedure that we use. It's called a cardioversion. And it works most of the time. You've, you've probably seen in television how they'll take the paddles and they'll paddle a guy. That's barbaric. We would never do that to you. What we're going to do to you is we're going to tape these pads to your chest that are hooked to electrodes. Then what we're going to do is we're going to hit you with a jolt of electricity. That'll stop your heart. We will wait five to seven seconds, and then we'll 
hit you with another jolt of electricity. That'll restart your heart and hopefully it'll be in sync. I'm like, you know, Doc, I'm not that quick on the uptake, but that sounds like you're going to kill me. <laughs> and Dr. Carlson goes, no, 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 we, we, we don't like to look at it that way. It's a, it's a, <laughs> done this hundreds of times. You'll be in the hospital. And by the way, before the procedure occurs, uh, there'll be an anesthesiologist and the anesthesiologist will give you something that'll make you comfortable. So I am alcoholic. I go from, you're going to kill me to, I'm going to get comfortable. Okay. You know, <laughs> and it's not that I haven't been comfortable in Alcoholics Anonymous, but I haven't been that kind of comfortable in 20 years. This is going to be a free pass. My sponsor will be okay with it. Nobody will be upset with it. I'm like, doc, sign me up. Let's do this thing. Three weeks later, I'm in the hospital. I got the, I got the gown on. I got the pads taped to my chest. I got the IV in my arm. Dr. Carlson's here. The anesthesiologist walks in. He's got a syringe of comfortable. Now I am watching him all the way across the room because I'm alcoholic. He gets in front of me. And the next thing I know, Dr. Carlson's leaning over me. He's like, uh, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm good, doc. I'm good. He goes, well, how do you feel? I feel fine. I'm ready for the procedure. And Dr. Carlson tells me, oh, no, no, no. We did the procedure. It's over. I immediately start arguing with my cardiologist. I'm asking him where the anesthesiologist is because I didn't get comfortable. You told me I was going to get comfortable. I didn't get comfortable. And... <laughs> yeah. You missed the freebie. Yeah. Well, like, like Scott used to say, only alcoholics get excited about general anesthesia because in the old days, <laughs> they'd give you the general anesthesia, you know, and they tell you to count back from 100. You go 100, 99, and we love 99 and 98. But nowadays, they gave me this stuff called propofil which is the stuff they gave to Michael Jackson. They just gave me the correct dose. And the problem with propofil is you're here and then you're here. There's no there. There's no 99. It's very disappointing. Right. <laughs> but the best part about this story, other than the forgiveness, and I know you'll appreciate this. You know, people that are new out there, hopefully you'll get into the big book and eventually you'll be reading the 12 and 12. In chapter 10 in the 12 and 12, there's a long discussion about the various forms of inventory we do. And there's a a discussion and a reference to the fact that many of us like to take annual retreats, semi-annual retreats. Uh, we get away from the clamors of the world. We get in touch with a spiritual advisor, a religious advisor, or an alcoholic who's got a lot of experience, and they take us through some step work or spiritual work. But the important thing is it's a safe, serene, secure environment. <laughs> I got shot on an AA retreat. <laughs> it gets better. I was leading the retreat. I'd given a talk the night before on unity, which I thought was compelling, but apparently this gentleman was not paying attention. I got shot Saturday morning and Saturday evening. I was supposed to give a talk on acceptance and forgiveness. <laughs> but here's the best part. The guy that shot me, I sponsor him. Oh, great. <laughs> I sponsored him then and I sponsor him now. And that's because of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, we were talking about Bill C. Bill likes to say that, you know, we come into AA and we, we take off the clown suit. But we don't, we don't throw it away. We make mistakes. You know, we put it on from time to time just to try it out. I've done it before sobriety, after sobriety, last week, you know. And uh, this process of forgiveness, you know, that's why we don't drift into morbid reflection. We just keep doing the work and we keep putting her hand out to the next person. And uh, I love this guy. He's a great guy. He helps a lot of people. He sponsors more people than I do. You know, he's very active in, in, in H&I and, you know, he just screwed up. It was a bad day. Yeah. Wow. 
Um, by the way, you've mentioned Scott R. several times. That's Scott Redman. Is that who you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. God bless him. Uh, I've heard his talks. Uh, he actually came here into our area to give a talk once. I didn't get to go see him. Uh, he talked to our group. In fact, it was a little bitty group, but uh, um, God rest his soul. The big meeting in the sky. Hopefully, we'll all be able to see him again someday, especially you, right? You also mentioned earlier your uh, wife and daughter. So can you take me through that period again? When, was that before sobriety, after sobriety, a little both? Talk to me about that. I had one daughter before sobriety who since passed away and two daughters after sobriety. And the, the first daughter, Ashley, was born with cerebral palsy and a significant seizure disorder. And that was a big part of my inventory, too, because I'm not proud of this, but it's the truth is I resented her before I got sober and after I got sober. And a lot of it was the perception. I felt I had this feeling like I had to take care of her, that maybe God was punishing me, you know, by giving me this daughter that, you know, she can't walk, she can't talk, she's on a lot of seizure medications, and she takes a lot of care. Because I didn't understand the concept of love. And I didn't understand that until I got into service. Because like Mother Teresa says, the fruit of service is love. Mm. And you don't get that until you get into service. It starts first in the rooms, and then it goes to work, and then it lastly comes home. And, and uh, I had made amends with my daughter, Ashley. And uh, she was, at the time, she was in a 24-hour care facility down in San Diego because she would have uh, 50, 100 tonic clonic seizures a day. And every few weeks or few months, she'd have a grand mal seizure and everything would stop. They'd have to paddle her back. So she needed- And excuse me, how old was she at this time? Uh, she was, when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, she was like 10. She died when she was 19. And um, I would, uh, you know, after about, First few months, I'd made amends with her, and we would go down every weekend. We had a, a conversion van. We'd put the wheelchair in. We'd take her to the zoo or to Balboa Park or to SeaWorld or just take her around, tie a balloon around her chair, brush her hair. She'd laugh and giggle, and a, and a father was restored to a daughter and a daughter to a son. And that was Alcoholics Anonymous, and it was a, it was a big deal for me. You know, um, I'll tell you, as a side note, my initial reaction was, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. I don't know what it has to do with AA other than my experience. The first guy that I sponsored is a guy named Stephen. Stephen had a son, Evan, cerebral palsy, seizure disorder. He resented Evan much the same way I resented Ashley. Um, we did these 12 steps that are simply a series of spiritual exercises that are designed to allow each individual in his or her own way, to find, develop, and maintain a conscious contact with his or her understanding based on his or her experience so that we can live and move and have our being in the world without drinking alcohol or doing some of the party favors that some of us like. And he went through that process. And a father was restored to a son and a son to a father. And that's great. Everything was great until I got a call one day in the middle of the night and she'd had another seizure and I went down to see her We're in the hospital. She's in ICU. She's hooked up to all these tubes, and I, I brushed her hair, and I kissed her, and I told her it was going to be okay, and that just wasn't true. The doctor called my wife and me over and said, your daughter's not going to make it out of ICU. So 
because I am who I am. I start arguing with the doctor. You know, my, my daughter's tough. You don't know my daughter. She's been through this before. And he's like, no, you don't understand. Her system's shutting down. She's got complete total renal failure. She's been on medication so long. There's so long that the kidney and the liver can take it. And uh, I'm pissed. You know, I pray and meditate every morning, but these morning sessions are not going well. I'm like not happy with God and I am letting God know about it. And I remember talking to both Michael and Scott about it. And thank God they didn't tell me what they were thinking. They just told me, just pray and meditate. You'll get the answer. And what happened after several days was I came to the realization that I was more concerned about how I felt about losing my daughter than the fact that my daughter was going to die. The truth is she was ready to go. She could never talk, but she could convey things with her eyes. And she was tired, you know, and uh, she wasn't going to know any more pain. She wasn't going to know any more stress. And my job was to be her father in this world or the next. And because of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, I was able to do that. And because of that experience, I have actually come to believe, and this is just for me, I, I just don't believe that we're a, a vessel of tissue and bones and sinew and blood and fluids. I, there's got to be more to it. There's an essence. There's a presence. There's a being, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we don't apparently care what you call this higher power. But it truly is deep within us, like the big book says on page 55. And I know this because my daughter passed this on to me. She taught me a, a level of love that I'd never experienced before. And my job is to pass that on. You talked about Scott Redman, Sandy Beach. They're not here anymore physically. They're not gone. We talk about them all the time. They help people that have never met them, ever. I've been to conferences and conventions and people have quoted Scott Redman and Sandy Beach back to me and they've never even met him because that's what we pass on. You know, we don't just pass on the book and the mechanics. We pass on our experience and our story and the story of the men and women that came before us, you know, and that's what Alcoholics Anonymous is about. And I just believe that to my core. And if you're ever sitting there and you're doubting that there's something else out there, sit down with a man or a woman and go through the process and listen to their fifth step. Don't just give a fifth step. Listen to their fifth step and look in their eyes. You'll see that God, that presence, that essence, whatever you want to call it. You'll see it. One of my guys calls it Mr. Mystery. That works. <laughs> So you have people who are listening to this. They're in all four corners of the world. Is there anything that you want to say here to kind of start to wind this down that you would like to, what sort of your experience, strength, and hope regarding your journey in Alcoholics Anonymous would you like to put forth out there for people to hear? Well, I like to think of Alcoholics Anonymous as God's amusement park. So bear with me a while. Uh, you're in the amusement park. It's a kind of interesting, cool park. You paid the price of admission. The price is extraordinarily steep. Nobody asked you if you wanted to pay the price of admission. You've got alcoholism. So we reached right up into your soul 
and we took it. Whether you just stumbled into the rooms or you came on to uh, a Zoom meeting or you went through treatment or rehab, you're in God's amusement park and you're looking around. You're looking around. You're living. You're breathing. Things are getting better. You'll notice there's a bunch of meetings in the park. You can go to them. You can not go to them. They're online now. They're 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 we're live. Some are still live, depending on where you are. Um, there are good things to go to, you know. Um, you'll notice that there's there seems to be twelve rides around the park, amusement rides. Kind of interesting. They look interesting, and there's a bunch of people. They look like they've been around a while, and they're just kind of hanging out by the rides, and they're beckoning to you. They're going, "Come on, come on, take the ride. Come with me. Take the ride. You don't have to take the ride. Just a suggestion. You don't have to. You can actually leave the park." But you got to remember something. The park is like a parking structure. There's no in and out privileges. You will have to pay another price of admission, and you may not be able to foot the bill. The rooms are littered with empty chairs of men and women who couldn't pay that additional admission price. But you're in the park. You're looking around. You see these people by the rides. If you go with these people and you take the rides, They'll tell you when to throw your hands in the air and whoop and holler and have the best time you've ever had in your life. You know, you didn't think you could do this without having some type of substance, but you can. It's unbelievably fun and entertaining. And they'll also tell you when to duck and cover because there'll be times when you'll need to do that too. And then when you get done with the rides, you'll find yourself hanging out by the rides, trying to encourage other people to get on the rides. And you're not supposed to judge, but you'll notice that the people who seem to be taking the rides and are hanging out by the rides, they're a hell of a lot happier than the other people in the park. I don't know what the deal is there, but they seem to be enjoying life. Because when you come into Alcoholics Anonymous, everything is grim and desperate and desolate. It's desperate. You know, I mean, John talked about experience, strength, and hope. I got to tell you, that's in the third and fourth edition. It's in the forward to the third and fourth edition. It's not in the first 164 pages. We talk about experience, but we don't talk about strength. We talk about powerlessness. We don't talk about hope. We talk about hopelessness. We hope you are beaten into a state of reasonless, driven by your alcoholism to have no clue whatsoever. You don't know whether to excuse my French shit or go blind. You got no clue. You are sitting there and you are desperate. That desperation is the gateway to grace. It feels like it sucks because it does. Being new sucks. That's why we grab the next new guy. Always. And you have no idea what your life can unfold if you just let it happen and take the ride. Love it. And, you know, I got to admit, when you had said that earlier, I'm actually going through another fourth and fifth step right now. And you talked about the how it doesn't say my part. In the big book, how it talks about mistake, fault, and blame. That just kind of, I, I don't know, it, it, it set with me. It's one of those things that I'm going to remember. I appreciate it much like, and I've had JS on here before as well. And Jay said something to me once about, he said that we, oh, Here's what he said. He said that he's been through all of Bill Wilson's 
primary writings, right? As you know, he's a historian. He likes to do all that. He said he, he had never seen in one piece of Bill's writings where someone was writing into him or he was talking about a specific problem where Bill said, what you need to do is go to page 34, paragraph two, and that is the answer to your problem, right? And we have, a, you know, there's different people who feel different ways about what the, quote, program of Alcoholics Anonymous is, but that really kind of stuck with me. And, and this is one of those things that's going to be sticking with me about how I'm always talking about my part, right? And I get that from the vernacular that you hear within the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I appreciate you explaining that in a different way. And and that's part of why I do this, to be able to hear a different perspective, be able to hear people have been doing this a while and uh, um, their experience, strength and hope, even though it's not in the first, the second edition. But I I really appreciate spending time with you today, Mr. Steve L. Sure. What are you going to say? I just, it's not that we don't have experience, strength and hope. It's just that that's not what we're looking for in the newcomer. You know, uh, we're looking for people who are desperate. You know, my experience is, uh, why would you do this work if you're not desperate? It, I've never seen anybody come into the rooms or look on pages 59 and 60 and go, oh, my God, John, can you please take me through these 12 golden steps of recovery? Most of us are like, really? You're number two? I mean, what, the, what does this have to do with my problem? You can't see it until you do it. it that's why AA is experiential. you got to have the experience. None of this makes sense looking forward. It only makes sense looking backwards. And you know, as Bill always says, uh, we're the last stop on the block. In other words, nobody comes in here. We send them to somewhere else to get their paper signed. We're like, this is it. From Alcoholics Anonymous. (laughs) (laughs) Nowhere else to go. God bless you, my friend. Thank you, sir. Uh, Thank you so much for your time and your energy uh, and sharing this with others. I do appreciate it. Um, I always read from, if I could find it here real quick. Oh. Where's my big book? Oh, I'm going to find page 164 of the big book. Here we go. You would think doing this a few times, I'd actually have this queued up. It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Mr. Steve L., as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Steve, thank you so much. Thanks, John. Take care. Mr. Steve L., thank you for your time. It was a pleasure. Remember now, if you're listening out there, we do not want you sharing your gossip or your STD, but do share this episode with a friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. Pause your device, hit that share button, and uh, let them listen to Steve L. That was absolutely fantastic. Now, On to a bit of, a little bit of listener feedback for Ewan's. Nancy writes in and Nancy says, Hi, John, I'm not an alcoholic, but I live with one. We've been married 40 years and he has been drinking his entire life. I have tried many times to get help for him. Unfortunately, he did not choose AA. 
He loves his family. I believe he just can't surrender. I have been listening to your podcast, trying, if only for myself, to understand. I found such amazing insight from listening to your guests. Just wanted to say thank you. Maybe there's still hope for him, but thank you for helping me. Well, thank you, Nancy, for writing in. Oh, it's a day at a time. I'm sure there's a lot of Al-Anons and other people listening in right now that can definitely relate to your story. Uh, Keep me posted there, Nancy. I appreciate you writing in. Jamie writes in, and Jamie says, I just heard episode 183, and I heard you mention my email. Well, you're going to hear it again on this episode, Jamie. So I was like, hey, that's me, she says. (laughs) She says, my husband, in comma, uh, in parentheses, who is still among the sick and suffering, asked me, why are you always listening to that AA stuff? So I had to ask myself, why am I so drawn to the stories? It's because I can relate. Uh, but to but to be or maybe it's not that I, I I'm sorry I, that may be it's because I not that I can relate but to be honest it's the miracles they are so inspiring I have never in my life felt so close with God and if we just look close enough our eyes are open to His work again thanks for all you do Jamie. Uh, well, you know what? I, you and uh, Nancy there looks like had similar stories, but I'm so glad that you tune in. I'm so glad that we can be a little part of your journey, Jamie. Uh, and anyway, thank you for writing in. I really do appreciate it. Ashley writes in and Ashley says, hello, John. I have been a Sober Speak listener for about a year now and have listened to every episode of Sober Speak. My goodness, that's great, Ashley. She says, my sobriety date is July 21st, 2019. I have a sponsor and my sponsor has a sponsor. I attend in-person meetings and I work the steps to the best of my ability. I am so thankful for Sober Speak, especially after starting back working full time and it being harder to make meetings. I keep Sober Speak in my ear all day, most days at work. I try to spread the word about Sober Speak whenever I have the chance to, exclamation mark. Well, exclamation point. Well, thank you, Ashley. I finally got my sponsor listening and you actually read some feedback from her a couple of episodes back. Made my day to know that she's uh, enjoying listening as much as I do. She says, Reno John, of course, has been one of my favorites because God puts just the right people in just the right place at just the right time and because God works through people. Reno John is one of my favorites and I listen to his episodes over and over. I can honestly say I get something out of every single episode. Thank you for all you do and for bringing us our meeting between meetings, triple exclamation point, Ashley B. from Georgia. Well, Ashley B. from Georgia, thank you so much. By the way, I reached out to Reno John here just recently, and uh, we are both going to be attending the Texas State Conference uh, that's coming up uh, the middle of June sometime, and uh, I'm going to try to get some time 
off to the side with him during the conference to record uh, uh, some additional episodes with him, and I'm I'm really looking forward to that. But anyway, Ashley from Georgia, thank you very much. Angie writes in. She says, hi, John. This is Angie R. I live in Athens, Georgia. Well, I wonder if Angie knows Ashley. Who knows? But anyway, she says, my sobriety date is April 1st, 2009. I found Sober Speak by, quote, accident, haha, when I was looking for AA speaker meetings. I haven't got much out of the episodes, but the last couple of days I have been especially impacted by Gary Kay. I have replayed all his episodes multiple times in two days. Good stuff, triple exclamation point. I have sent several of my AA pals to the link. Thank you. Oh, good. So she paused her device and shared that link. Well, thank you. Angie. She says, thank you much for your service, John. Love, Angie R. in Athens, Georgia. Well, it is a Georgia invasion. I am so glad to hear from you people from Georgia. Thank you very, very, very much. I'm sorry, I get a little excited sometimes. I, I, you know, my wife listens to these things every, every once in a while. Not often, quite honestly. <laughs> but every once in a while, she'll listen to them and she'll go, am I really married <laughs> to that guy? <laughs> I know I embarrass her to no end. And, and you know what? I, I kind of like embarrassing her anyway. Thank you, Angie, for writing in. I appreciate you. Bob M. direct messages me. He DMs me on the gram. You know, I've kind of gotten, I've been calling it the gram recently. I think I used to call it something. What did I call it? On uh, Insta? No, did I call it Insta? I can't remember, but the gram is kind of a, a new one. It makes me sound even cooler than I used to, I believe. He DMs me on the gram and he says, Hey, John, been listening for a year now. Great podcast. I do, if I do say so myself, it has gotten me through some difficult times and good times. Sober since 914 of 2018. Creep keep up the great work. Well, Mr. Bob, you keep up the great work yourself, and I appreciate you reaching out. Uh, congratulations on all your sobriety there. That's fantastic. Ryan also messages me, DMs me on the gram as well, and he says, hey, John, I appreciate your podcast. I listen to at least one podcast a day. I'm seven months sober this week. God bless you, Mr. Ryan. He says, can you add me to the super secret Facebook group, please? And just in case you didn't catch me on the front end of this episode, uh, you no longer have to contact me to get into the super secret, super secret Facebook group. Oh, what did, uh, Oh, what's the other super secret Facebook group? Oh, somebody sent me in another phrase for it and they put another S in there. And now I can't remember what it was. I am so, I am so disappointed in myself. But nonetheless, those of you who have listened to this in the past will know what I'm saying. Others of you are going, just get to the end of the episode. Quit drawing this out. But anyway, um, so you no longer have to contact me via email. You could just go right to the site itself in Facebook. So I, my understanding is this, okay? I could be wrong, but I think if you just search for the Sober Speak secret Facebook group, 
you'll you'll find that link and you'll ha- there's something in there that says you know uh, can I become a member? And the reason I, I know people are finding it because I get these all the time now. Uh, people are finding it and then they're they're sending me, you know, can I be approved to be a member? And, and the bar is very low, by the way, <laughs> very low. But uh, anyway, uh, I know we got you in there, Ryan, uh, but thank you for writing. Thank you for DMing me on the gram. And finally... Michelle posted in the Super Secret Facebook group. She says, hi. And she actually put this out there to everybody, but I just uh, enjoyed it and just wanted to read it. She says, I just wanted to say that I really enjoyed the podcast. I don't usually listen to the mu- to music or podcasts while I run, but... Once a week, I'll find a new or old episode of Sober Speak and, quote, take, unquote, the meeting between meetings along with me. Happy Friday. Well, whatever you got today, uh, Michelle, I'm so glad that you, uh, I wonder what you listened to. I'd be curious to know which episode that you picked out. I'd be curious to know which one is your favorite. I'd be curious to know which particular speakers have impacted you that we have had on the um a pod in the past and now i'm really starting to lose it let me just go ahead and close this out and just say god bless you uh, keep coming back it works if you work it love you uh, i take this one week at a time hopefully we'll all be back next week god bless <laughs>